Well, the passage this morning will be 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. that says this, By Silvanus, or Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. It's important to understand communication and not to run by without knowing what's being said. In July of 1863, there was a battle fought in the war between the states in southern Pennsylvania called Gettysburg. The leader of the southern forces was a man named Robert E. Lee. George Meade led the northern forces. There was a high piece of ground in the Gettysburg area called Cemetery Ridge. And General Lee, being a great military thinker, understood this, that whoever owned the high ground would win the day. And so when his divisional commander, General Ewell, they called him Old Baldy, because he was bald as a very young man. General Ewell goes to Gettysburg. Ewell had been under a guy named Stonewall Jackson. Jackson had died about six weeks before that. So Ewell took over Jackson's command, and he gets to the field, and Lee sends a, a, an urgent letter to General Ewell. And he says to General Ewell, and General Robert E. Lee often gave commands in kind of with vagueness because he thought the men underneath him understood it. Jackson understood it. Ewell didn't get it. He said, General Ewell, take the high ground, quote, if practical, close quote. And that little phrase has been debated for 150 years. Ewell thought that gave him wiggle room, so he didn't take Cemetery Ridge, which he could have easily done, because we know now the Union troops were not dug in, and people say that if Jackson had been there, he had already taken Cemetery Ridge without Lee commanding him to do so. So it, it, understanding communication is important. As you know, Gettysburg was won by the Union, and it was a turning point of, of that particular war. So, so we need to understand statements and not, not just deal with vague generalities. And when you come to the closing of letters in the Bible, oftentimes we say, well, this is, he's just kind of a sign off, God bless you, sincerely yours. But I believe this closing by the apostle Peter to 1 Peter is so vitally important that I'm going to look at it for the next three weeks. Talk about this week, Silas, particularly Next week, Mark particularly, and then the next week, what it means by greet each other with a kiss of love. I think this, all these are, are very important. So it says about Silas, or Silvanus, he says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I'm sending this letter by the hand of Silvanus, a, a faithful brother. That's it. Now, faithfulness means someone who is dependable, but it also can be mean, it can mean this, one who inspires trust. One who inspires trust. He, he says Silas is, is just a faithful brother. A, a modern-day comic said this years ago, and it's gotten some speed through the years. He says 80%, 80% of success is just showing up. And there's some truth to that. Just do the right thing. Just show up. Do your duty. I'm, I'm always amazed in James, the New Testament book, as James closes out this book, and he, he's, he's, he says, for example, verse 7, Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. 
Be patient like a farmer waiting for the crops. He says, verse 8, don't grumble against one another, brothers, so you won't be judged. The judge is standing at the door. One of the great themes of the book of James is how we speak and our language. We should bless and not curse people. And, and then he says, as an example of patience and suffering, brothers, consider those who've gone before you. We call these blessed who remain steadfast. The example is Job. And then he gets to verse 12 and he says this. But above, above all my brothers, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I thought, I've always thought that's really kind of strange. Above all. I think what James is saying here is that in, in the midst of this book that's been dealing with the application of the Christian faith, be people of integrity. Be people whose yes is yes and no is no. You don't have to swear by the temple or the gold in the temple, as Jesus said. You just speak the truth. You, you, you just do the right thing. So I'm going to step back and I'm going to look at the life of Silas and ask, why was Silas a faithful brother or a dependable man or one who inspired others to trust? Number one is this. He lived his life out as a called out person. That's throughout the book of 1 Peter. For example, 1 Peter 1.15 says, But, you, but as, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He's called you. He's called you unto himself. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, You are a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you not received mercy, now you have received mercy. He says in chapter 2, in verse 21, regarding the life of Christ, he says, For, for to this you have been called a holy living, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You're called to imitate Christ. You're called into fellowship with God to live as a called out person. Chapter 5, verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and establish you. So, so the, the first point is this, is that, is that Silas lived as a called out person, called into fellowship with Christ by the power of the gospel through the preaching of the word and the convicting of the Holy Spirit. And there's a wonderful book called The Call by a man named Os Guinness, a British evangelical, and he says this, calling is the truth that God calls us to himself in Christ so decisively that everything we are. Everything we do and everything we have is invested with a special devotion, dynamism, and direction lived out as response to his summons and his service. It is the stewardship of all that we have. We live as called out people, which gives us dignity and resilience. And, and then Guinness makes an incredible, I, I, I love this book. It's a wonderful book. You ought to read it. And then he goes on, he says this, there's a distinction between the primary calling, which is God calling us to himself by his glory and goodness in Christ, and the secondary calling, which is our vocation. The secondary calling is incredibly important. 
We use our giftedness and who we are to honor Christ, but everything we do is done in light of the fact that we are called out people to exercise our gifts in response to who Christ is in us. And he says you must keep the vital distinction. I think it's here. Keep this vital distinction between the primary calling and secondary calling intention. If we understand calling, we must make sure that first things remain first and the primary calling always comes before the secondary calling. We belong to Christ. And as, as homemakers, as teachers, as auto mechanics, as uh, whatever, we, we live out that, that giftedness in light of our primary calling unto Christ. That's what he's saying. We must also make sure that the primary calling leads without fail to the secondary calling. And, and when this happens, you have, you have dignity and resilience. I see this, I see this in, in the life of Barnabas. In the book of Acts, in three chapters, his name is mentioned 12 times. We'll just look at a few times. But in Acts chapter 15... Barnabas and a man named Judas go with Paul, excuse me, Paul and Barnabas take along Silas and, and Judas, and they go and they deliver a letter to Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, and it says this regarding, regarding Silas. Verse 32, after the letter was read, we'll discuss later, verse 32, and Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. They, they, they spoke the word because that was their giftedness, but they were primarily called unto God through the work of the cross of Jesus. It, 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 gives, it gives dignity, it gives strength. So we pick up in chapter 16. Paul and Silas go to a place called Philippi, and they preach the gospel, and they see success. People come to faith. And there's a little girl that has a, a, a demonic spirit by which she can tell, foretell certain things. And she kept following Paul and, and Silas everywhere saying, these are men sent from God. And, and she was disrupting the preaching of the gospel and the discussion of the gospel. And so Paul turns and he says, in the name of Jesus, I command the evil spirit to come out of her. And, and it came out and she, at that moment, could no longer foretell the future and make money for her pimps. And then her, her employees, her pimps, stirred up the people saying they're preaching and teaching things that we're not familiar with. And, and, and this is what the scripture says. Verse 22, chapter 16, the crowd joined in attacking Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Betrayed, stripped naked, beaten, inner cell stocks. Called out men who belonged to Jesus. Next verse. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. 
See, understanding the lordship of Christ makes you a faithful brother who lives with dignity and who lives with resilience. And then there's a phenomenal, miraculous release of Paul and Silas, and the Philippian jailer and his household came to faith. And they go to a place called Thessalonica where the, the, the crowds once again come against them. They have to flee at night. They go to Berea. But everywhere they go, they're preaching the gospel of grace because they are called out people. A faithful brother, a faithful sister says, I am eternally loved by God and I'm called into fellowship with him through the work of Jesus. And I live with dignity and resilience and strength. A faithful brother. A faithful brother. I was thinking about this all week. A faithful brother says this. We deal with the God who is. We deal with the God who watches us. I, I, was, I was reading Hosea. Hosea 10, verse 12, Hosea is writing to the children of Israel who've fallen into sin. He's calling them back to repentance. He says this in verse 12 of chapter 10. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. But... You have plowed iniquity, and you have reaped injustice, and you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way and in, your, in the multitude of your warriors instead of the Lord. And I just stepped, I said, you know, to myself, so, you know, do I really believe, do I really believe that if I sow righteousness, I will reap steadfast love? Do I really believe that I deal with the God who is and the God who has spoken? Do, do I really believe that it's time for me to break up the unplowed ground of my heart? And we all have unplowed ground. As I seek the Lord, because He is good and He is glorious, and do I realize that if I, if, if I, that I am a man who will reap what He said? Do I believe that? See, faithful brothers realize they deal with God. The vast majority of people go through life thinking they'll never die and they're accountable to no one. I mean, that's, I think vast majority. Faithful brothers say, you know, I deal, I deal with God. And I was reading Ezra. And you know, Ezra is, again, it's a book written 150 years before or after Hosea. And, and the children of Israel, once again, have fallen into sin. And Ezra has heard about their sin. And he's, he says, Let's just listen. Ezra 9, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites God says, have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations <clears throat> from the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites. And the, the first group listed are the Canaanites. And the Canaanites were known to practice child sacrifice. And if, if you go to Carthage today in North Africa, the Carthaginians were derivatives of the Canaanites. And in Carthage, you can go into caves and you see where children were sacrificed, burned alive. Then you go after this graveyard and there'll be different tombs that they've unearthed and different little statues that represent dead children. They say, well, if the gods allow me to be prosperous financially in this quarter, I'll sacrifice the baby to be birthed this quarter. 
And, and, and God, says, God says, don't intermarry with these people. And the children of Israel did. And then later, Ezra just rebukes them. And he says this. He says, let our officials stand for the whole assembly and let all of our cities who have taken foreign wives come out at appointed times with them and the elders and the judges of every city until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. And I just stopped and I said, do I really believe there is a present day fierce wrath of God that he brings them on people who spit on his commands? Do I believe that God judges people who intentionally turn the other way and really give God the fist in the face. The Bible says, godly people say, we deal with God. A faithful brother says, I live as a called out man unto God. I kept thinking, you know, who are... Who are faithful brothers? Who are faithful sisters? And let me tell you, they are all over this place. All over the place. They live as unto God. And I thought of Psalm 36. I read this. <clears throat> First three verses. Listen, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, and he has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. This is ungodly. Ungodly people, first, step number one, there's no fear of God. They don't deal with God. They do their own thing. And because there's no fear of God, they flatter themselves. Therefore, their iniquity cannot be found out and hated. See, people that say that I'm, a, I'm the captain of my own soul, I'm the master of my faith, they don't, they don't hate iniquity. Their iniquity cannot be found out because they don't listen. See, a faithful brother fears God, reverences God. A, a faithful brother or sister does not flatter himself. Well, I just said to a group earlier this morning that, you know, the old spiritual, it's not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's our song. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. See? The words of the faithful brother's mouth are blessings. The faithful brother has continues to act wisely, and he does good. The faithful brother or sister thinks about how to bless people on their bed at night when they can't sleep. Silas was just a faithful brother. Thanks be to God for faithful men and women. Number two, a faithful brother has proven character. In Acts chapter 15, we read this about, about Silas. It says that they're going to send this letter, and so to the churches of Antioch and Syria, it says, they sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. Leading men. Men, men of proven character. Faithful brothers. You know, when you look at the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, 
I'm struck by the fact that it's not an exceptional list of qualifications. In fact, a guy named D.A. Carson, who's a outstanding New Testament scholar, says the list here is not particularly elevated or difficult. It just underscores faithfulness. Whenever I think about this list, I just kind of have four words I, I peg. It's proven character. They're engaged in the mind of God and the gospel. They're gentle and approachable, and they know the doctrines. That's, it's kind of, that's distilling it down. There's more to it than that. But, but they're, they're proven. They're engaged with the gospel and the things of God. They're sober-minded. They're gentle and peaceable, and they know the doctrine. They stand there. And I just thought about one thing about a, a proven leader or, or, or proven character is, 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 uh, is this, I think, yeah. Uh, I just thought that, that a gentle, peace-loving person knows what issues are red alert issues and what issues are not. Yeah, they're yellow, maybe even they're orange. That's that, that what I mean when I say they're, they're engaged with the gospel. See, see some, some people live with a panic button on their desk. And everything is, you know. And some parents live that way. Parents, if you have teenagers, if every issue is a 10 issue, then nothing is a 10 issue. I frequently say to people now, as we discuss this issue, is it from 1 to 10, how serious is it for you? Then I say, how does that square up with the Word of God? See, if you're raising kids, and, and, if, and if them um, putting their dirty clothes in the laundry is the same as underage drinking, you will not be a good parent. You won't be a good parent, and you'll probably lose your mind. If you're a leader in the church, and every issue is a 10, instead of saying, hey, let's just trust God and go on with that, You'll never be a good leader. See, a, a faithful brother is a, has a proven character and he's a person who's engaged with the gospel of grace. The third thing about a faithful brother is that it says here, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand in it. Do you understand these words? Is exhorting means earnest pleading. Declaring means biblical authority and exhortation you plead you teach that this is the true grace of God stand firm in it if we're to be faithful brothers and sisters we will plead with people consider the outcome of your disobedience or consider where you're going I, I plead with you I, 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 I plead with you Please hear me. Please. I've been there. I've done that or I've seen that. I've, I've, I've seen the, the ramifications of this type of living. And then and we also declare, we exhort because the book is authoritative. We've got to have both. If we're just, the book is authoritative, A, B, C, D, subset, one, two, three, you've got to have that, but you've got to have pleaders. Every time I see a group of young people, I just want to say, oh, man, I wish, oh, God, please have mercy. Every, every time. Every time I see a little baby born, it's, oh, God, give it. Please. Are, are we pleaders? Do our hearts break for people? 
Paul says, a faithful brother is exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Faithful brothers, faithful sisters, plead with us because eternity is at stake. Plead with us because you're reaping the destiny. Plead, and they exhort. They stay in the book. I was thinking about the life of of, of Silas. There, in Acts 15, real quickly, there, there was a movement in the early church to say that it's fine to believe in Jesus, the gospel is good, but you must be circumcised, and you must observe the Mosaic laws, and, and to really become a good Christian, you must also be a, a Jew, basically. And, and Paul stood up and said, no, that's not the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace says it's Christ alone. And so they had this huge convocation the first church council called the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And all the leaders came together and they stood up with one accord and they said, we affirm the gospel is the gospel of grace for Jewish and Gentile people, every man, woman, boy, and girl. And it's only by faith in Jesus. And so they said, now we're, we're going to send a group of people back to tell all the churches in Asia Minor and Antioch and Syria and Cilicia this good news, this, the good news of the gospel. We're going to send Paul and Barnabas, but to represent us, we're going to send out two men of proven character, and they chose Judas and Silas. And I thought of, of, of the polar opposites. What, what, a, what a joy that Silas had. What, what a joy to go to Antioch and Syria and Cilicia and these little churches and say, listen, guys, you Gentile believers, you don't have to be circumcised. And a lot of guys were very, very happy, let's be honest, you know. And uh, it's just faith in Jesus. It's not feast days and fast days. It's just the cross of Jesus. What a glory. That would have been a fun preaching tour. But, but then in our day and age, the, the polar opposite is, this is the true grace of God. It's not one of 15 alternatives. And you see that in in Acts 16, Paul and Silas in prison, they're miraculously released. The jailer is about to take a sword and kill himself because the law demanded that if this prisoner escaped, you forfeit your life. He says, I'm going to get it over with now. And Paul and Silas says, don't harm yourself. We're all right here. Nobody's moved. And the Philippian jailer came and they fell at, their, at the feet. He says, fell at the feet of Paul and Silas. And he says, what must I do to be saved? He was listening to the hymns. He was listening to the gospel being preached. And Paul and Silas, who stood true in the gospel of grace, said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. You and your household. Believe. Trust. Abandon your idols. Abandon self-will. Abandon trying to work your way into the presence of God. Just believe in the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. They did not say, just be a good guy. Just follow your Greco-Roman gods, whichever one you choose. Be consistent with your internal compass. Believe in Jesus. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Church, I want us to stand firm in the gospel of grace. Stand firm in who Christ is. Stand firm in the glory of the cross.
in 480 B.C. There was a battle fought called Thermopylae. Incredible story. There was a guy named Xerxes, a Persian, who had an army of at least, we think, 250,000 men. He invaded Greece. The Greco states were just fighting among themselves. Sparta and Athens didn't like each other, but when the Persians came pouring in, they said, we've we got to stand together. And so they went to this place called Thermopylae. They can only get together at the last minute, 7,000 men. And they realized there's no way we can fight these people. So they, they found this pass that was 20 yards wide, 20, 25 yards wide. The pass you had to go through to get to the rest of Greece. Xerxes had to go through that, that pass. And so there was a man from Sparta, the leader of the Spartan troops came, named Leonidas, 55 years old. Stud, 55. Okay. See, 60 is the new 20. Right. And so Leonidas took 300 of his crack troops and he sent the rest home to raise a huge army that would eventually defeat, defeat the Persians. And he says, men, we're going to fight to the death. And they just stood there. And so for three days, until they were betrayed, for three days they repulsed an army of a quarter of a million people. They couldn't get through. In fact, the rumor goes that as the, as the warfare began, one of the men looked at Leonidas and said, when the Persians fire their arrows, it will blot out the sun. And Leonidas said, then how fortunate are we? We will fight in the shade. <laughs> And when Leonidas realized that he had been betrayed and they were going to die, he said to a stranger who he sent back as an emissary, tell the Spartans that we behaved as they would wish us to and we are buried here. Spartans were tough. When they went to battle, the Spartans, the mothers would stand in the streets and they would cry after their sons, either come back carrying your shield or come back on it. I mean, he's dead. And I, I just thought about a stand. We need, in Galatians 5, Paul says, stand firm in the gospel of grace. See, faithful brothers stand firm. Faithful sisters stand firm. They're just faithful. They're just, and their lives inspire trust. They, their, their lives inspire. I look, I look around every week and I see people who inspire me to go hard for Jesus. I want to be that kind of person. The fourth quality about a, a faithful brother when we look at Silas is that they know, they know the source of power. They know the source of power. This is what Paul says. Are the Spartans? Yeah. It's what Paul says in First or Second Corinthians one. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy, and I, Silas, okay, Silas, okay, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen 
to God for his glory. See, a faithful brother like Silas knows the source of power. The source of power is embracing, knowing, and living out our union with Jesus Christ as our master and our Lord. A faithful brother says, I am a leaky bucket, and he runs back to the fountain of grace every day. A faithful brother runs to Christ. A faithful sister runs to Christ. Their source of power is not their intuitive knowledge. It is not their giftedness. It is who Jesus is. Paul says here, you know, in Christ it's not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. Faithful brothers and sisters. Silas, a faithful brother. A faithful person. One who is dependable, but also one who causes us to trust. So, one thing I want to suggest you do this week. I know this is kind of old-fashioned. I should have an email up here, I guess, or a text. But write a letter to someone who's been a faithful person in your life who has inspired you to go for it in Christ and ask them to pray for you that you'd be the same type of person. And look at the coming generations. Look at the coming generations. And ask yourself, am I living in such a fashion that I'm going to cause the younger generations to say, man, I want to go hard for Jesus. With joy and with dignity and with purpose. How will we live our lives? So send a letter. And realize that all of our, our, our callings to whatever it is in our vocation find their purpose as we live it in life of the primary calling. The primary and secondary calling must always be linked together. I, I love to walk through graveyards. That may be weird, but I do. And I'll stop and, and I'll look at a gravestone and I, I'll imagine the historical era in which they lived. And I, I, we just got back from Germany. And, and I, I went to several graveyards and, and I would see an individual born like in 1901. And they, they died in 1970. And I'm thinking, what did you do? What did you do in 1933 when the Nazis came to power? What did you do when you understood that they were a group of thugs? What did you do when you heard about the mass annihilation and murdering of all types of people, especially the Jews? Did you remain silent? Or did you stand up in the public square and say, I am rooted in something greater than the Nazis? I am rooted in something greater than Mother Germany. I am rooted in the gospel of grace. What did you do? I think people look at us and they come and say, what, what, what did you do? What did you do when this happened? What, what did you do when this... Man, let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you have... Uh, um, 
I think of the statement in Hebrews, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and we know that talks about the historical lineage of Hebrews 11, but where I think of a great cloud of witnesses that I'm surrounded around by, by every week who just faithfully live out the reality of Christ. And they're dependable, and they live lives that inspire trust. And uh, I, I just thank you for it. I thank you that in, in my life I can point to certain people who were faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful. S sometimes in, in such little things that they were overlooked, but they hit me. So let us be faithful brothers and sisters. Let us live as called out people in union with Jesus where everything is lived out under the lordship of Christ. Let us be faithful people who, who are men and women of proven character, who, who earnestly exhort and deliberately teach the truths of the gospel. And let us stand in it. And let us always realize that our source of power is Christ. It is Christ. It is Christ. It is the gospel. So blessed be your name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.